Yeah, let's begin with a prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, thank you for the gift of your love and your grace and for the gift of our minds and the abilities to be sub-creators with you. Please bless our time together and help us to enjoy using our minds to create things for your glory. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hark the bardic paladin who sings and plays again. He tells the tales of glory and weaves a magic story. He'll join you at your table and ask you to share a fable. Heroes of humble origin, villains who must be fought again. No matter their skill or prowess, the people in life are countless. So we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 61, Axios the Revenant Priest. Welcome to Sidekicks and Side Quests, the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Father Tom Bombadil's table in the levitating platter. Hello everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests, the best unofficial Dungeons and Dragons podcast in my humbly biased opinion. Uh, if you can't tell by the introduction we had on this show, we've got a very special guest and before we dive into that of course you know trying this thing that they do in the biz uh we do have a sponsor fellow catholic fellow D nerd tony vicinda and plus one exp they're a great cheerleader here in the tabletop creator sphere tony makes some awesome beard balms that are flavored after the different DD stats so if you like strength or dexterity charisma constitution uh you can add those beard balms uh to your facial features and uh feel empowered not only is tony making these products uh, but he's also designing really cool rpg games uh, i know he's worked on repugnant beards and beyond so a beard themed rpg he just released an eye toaster so kind of like a brave little toaster game and i think he's working on a kickstarter right now for a game that's kind of based on an old school dungeons and dragons model called down we go Finally, he has the plus one forward program, so every time you support him on his store, on his Patreon, uh, then he also carries it forward and he supports indie content creators. So for all the great stuff that Tony's got going on, so you can check out his YouTube and Twitch and all across social media, you can find all that information if you go to plus1exp.com. Plus and one are both spelled out and then exp.com. And when you go to the store part and you want to buy a beard balm or a game or anything like that, use my affiliate code Randolph. can save some money on your purchase. Thank you again for this sponsor. And now, without further ado, I turn the microphone over and I ask my guest, would you please introduce yourself and tell us what it is that you do? Hey, everyone. My name, at least online, is Father Tom Bombadil. I've been on Twitter for a while, and somehow God has managed to redeem that time on Twitter and make it worth something worthwhile for the the connections I've made with people. But far more important than that, I'm a priest of Jesus Christ. I've been a priest for over seven years now, and I love it. I love being a priest. I love serving the Lord. And in addition, I've always been a huge nerd. Always grew up playing video games, playing Zelda, loving knights and wizards and all that kind of stuff. Huge into Skyrim. A priest is who I am, and nerdy stuff is what I like to do on occasion. Right. I was going to say with the moniker you've chosen, it seems you have uh, maybe a a certain kind of preference for a certain author of ours that we both like. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of J.R.R. Tolkien and The Lord of the Rings. I have 
read The Lord of the Rings many times through and The Hobbit. I've not actually finished The Silmarillion, but mostly because I just gotten distracted. But <laughs> I've got like the collection of Tolkien's letters. I've got the unpublished works that he has in Scraps and Pieces. I've got uh, Encyclopedia and Atlas. I've, I've gone very far down the Tolkien Middle Earth rabbit hole. And I'm a big fan. And Tom Bobadil is not my favorite character, but I, <laughs> when I was thinking about my Twitter presence, I was thinking, okay, well, I, I'm not on Twitter particularly to do ministry, but I am a priest. And so I'm not going to stop being a priest even online. So <laughs> how can I be who I am and show people in Catholic Twitter who I am, but just kind of keep a low profile because I'm not there to make a name for myself. And it struck me the idea of Tom Bombadil as a priest in some country parish in the Shire. I like the image of that. I wouldn't say that Tom Bombadil describes the sort of person I am right now, He's, but he's more of like an aspiration. Okay. <laughs> the, the sort of person, not that I would love to imitate, but his qualities of being carefree and kind of at peace and knowing his place in the world that uh, I admire. And his total surrender, I mean, it gets into sort of the theology behind Lord of the Rings. <laughs> what I would say is his total acknowledgement of the providence of God and the order of things. And knowing that place, even though he's a small part in it, it gives him great power to fight evil. So all of these things kind of mixed together in my mind. And I thought, you know what, Tom Bombadil is a priest, that sounds like it fits. And so I decided that would be my my online moniker. I'm just excited for the discussion that we're going to have. So I think to carry that on, we'll lead into the next question, which is, do you play Dungeons and Dragons? Do you know what Dungeons and Dragons is? Have you ever had any experience with any sort of tabletop role-playing game before? I know you mentioned Skyrim, so that's video games, but have you actually done it with paper and pencil before? I have played Dungeons and Dragons, I think, two sessions in my life. Um, it was in college, near the end of college. A friend of mine mentioned he was going to play a session. And I was like, I've never done that. And the part of me that was like, oh, that's super nerdy. And I'm not sure I want to get into this, like, in the wrong way. It was overshadowed by the, you know, I just feel like this is really cool. Like, this is a type of game playing that, like, I haven't been exposed to before. And I'm really curious about what it's like. And I like the idea of, like, sitting down with people to play a game. I remember growing up playing video games where you sit on the couch or in the same room with a bunch of your friends and play Mario Kart or something. Mm -hmm. And gaming's largely all online now and there's something to me that's nice about playing some sort of game like this in person with your friends i've only played once or twice and i barely got the hang of exactly how it goes but i know the general sense of how the game goes i like it i wouldn't mind playing again sometime yeah, if uh, I'm not mistaken, uh, another priest that's out there in the social media and the podcasting world, uh, Father Sharapa, if I recall, didn't he get an opportunity to sit down and play some D&D &D and talked about on his podcast? Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I'd like to go back and play it again. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Yeah. Drawing from my experience playing like Skyrim, um, mm. which has sunk many, many hours into. <laughs> One of the things that it's kept it fresh to me is the fact that like, okay, well, there's the ability to replay the game as different sorts of characters. You know, after a while, like the same old plot, the same old mechanics, the flaws that are in the game, the way that I found to get around it was starting to build in my own story and my own world. And so like, okay, I'm not just going to like play this game flat. Like, let me impose some restrictions. Let me impose like a story. Let me give myself a reason to play this. Games that are too open world and too aimless, I never enjoyed. So sometimes I've had to kind of flex my own creative muscles to come up with something that made an old game interesting in a new way. So I, I like the idea of exploring role-playing and world-building. One of your uh, pin tweets at the moment uh, is a still image from the Dark Souls game of a knight in armor sitting around a campfire. And I think the caption on it is a uh, priest in between masses on Sunday. And so that leads me into this just random question that I just thought of as, you know, you mentioned that you've been a Catholic priest for seven years and you have this love for all this nerdiness and Dungeons and Dragons, maybe just something in general, because I don't know the percentage of my audience that actually is Catholic or knows about Catholic priests. But what's that like? Because in D&D &D terms, it's like there are character classes that are like paladins and <laughs> right. clerics and holy warriors and stuff. And like, here you are a real life priest. What's it like? I don't know to have those encounters in real life 
life or to let people know that it's like, oh, I'm actually a human being too. Not only am I a, a servant of the Lord and, you know, I do all these very important spiritual things, but I'm also a flesh and blood person that likes to play video games and, you know, eat cheeseburgers and stuff. Yeah, you know, it's funny when a person is studying and training to be a priest, it takes between six and eight years, all told. And you do a lot of academic work, you do a lot of sort of apprenticing and training, learning what we believe and learning how to do priest things better. And and yet it's priesthood's more than just a job or a career. It mm. much more than that, it's an identity. Being a priest is something I do, but first it's something that I am. It's who I am and it, it shapes the sort of person that I am. But it's weird because I am something totally new and different after I become a priest, after I became a priest, but I also remain myself. And it's been strange to explore that in my relationship with the Lord, learning more about who I am and as a priest. You know, what does it mean to be a priest? What does it mean to try to serve Christ and serve the church and serve other people and be myself? What I would say essentially is, I mean, I see my job is to be a spiritual father to people. That's the reason priests are called father generally, to care for people the way a father cares lovingly for people, to look after them, to teach them, to protect them, to guide them, to support them, to love them. A priest is a teacher to help people to see and understand God and themselves and where he is in the world and the path that leads to God and to happiness. And a priest is somebody who is a mediator, somebody who's like an ambassador between two worlds. A mm. priest is someone who bridges the gap between the earthly and the heavenly, between the mundane and the transcendent. And that's a really weird sort of person to be, right? <laughs> you know, and it's, I see that kind of just in my own self, right? Like I, I'm still me, you know, <laughs> the kid who grew up playing way too many video games and, you know, loved to draw when I was growing up and has a black belt in martial arts and does a little bit of CrossFit and loves to go running and loves to relord the rings and all that stuff. And God chose me as that person <laughs> and said, you, I would like you to be my representative, my ambassador, a herald, somebody who goes and brings me to other people. That's, I'd say, the best way to summarize how I see being a priest. My job is to bring Jesus to other people and to bring people to Jesus. Sometimes people are open to the things God has to offer. Sometimes people aren't. But I want to just walk with people, meet them where they're at, and try to love them and to share the many things that God has given me that have really entirely changed my life. That's some things I have to say about priesthood. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Certainly, thank you for that answer. And, and hopefully out there, listeners, maybe that gives you a little bit more insight into the mindset of a character that is like a paladin or a cleric, you know, give you some more depth, give you some more insight into what it's like. So moving along with our questions on this show, we like to ask, what's been one of your favorite sidekick or NPC characters, either from a tabletop RPG game, video game, movie, film, television, etc.? And why are they your favorite sidekick? There's probably a number of them that would stand out. I mean, certainly I could name any number of characters from Lord of the Rings. One that I'm going to focus on, though, there's a series of books that I've read many times at this point. It's called The King Killer Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss. There's two books that are written. There's a third and final book forthcoming, which we've been waiting anxiously for many years for it to come <laughs> out. To me, I think it is a, a masterfully written story. It's, it's got wonderful world building. It's got interesting characters. It's got stories within stories within stories. Every time you read it through, you find new things. And that's the sort of thing I love, diving in and exploring like new caverns and labyrinths in a story and finding things that are deliberately put there, but you wouldn't notice right away. So in this story, there's a character called Ori. She is a young girl. I think we're not sure her age. She's like a teenager or a young woman. She lives underground. She lives alone. She's, she's sort of an orphan, but I don't think she's a child necessarily. She's very skittish and scared. It becomes clear as you read that like she's suffered quite a lot. She's been traumatized. She's been hurt. In the, the world where we are reading the story, deep in these underground caverns, which are quite extensive, we learn. You know, our, our main character doesn't realize how extensive this underground world actually is, but he discovers that there's this girl or this young woman that lives down there. And he eventually kind of coaxes her out and shows that he is 
not a threat. And she comes to really like him and become sort of friends with him. There's a novella that Pat Rothfuss wrote just about this character, Ori. And it's all about just her random goings and comings in this underground world. And reading it, I fell in love with it. There's something about her spirit. She's very simple and kind-hearted. She's wounded, but she's also powerful if she would let that come out. And just there's many things about her character. It's the sort of character I don't run into very often in a story. And so she she doesn't play a very large role in the story. But whenever she comes up, like I always kind of light up because she's the sort of character where like if in a story you meet a character that clearly has a lot of knowledge and wisdom and experience and even power perhaps, but for one reason or another has decided not to use them or has kind of shelved it. And so the way they present is very kind of plain or simple and it it's deceptive. So it's, I, I've always been intrigued by her because she clearly has a past that is unclear right now. And that just to me makes a character interesting. But also she's somebody who knows a great deal and has great power, but chooses not to use it most of the time. And that just to me, that's an intriguing sort of person to introduce into the story. What's been one of your favorite side quests, either from tabletop game, video game, film, television, history, etc.? And why has it been one of your favorite side quest moments. Okay, so this character Ori that I described in this novella, it's a strange story because it has almost none of the elements of a usual story. I don't think there's any dialogue. The apex of the story, the climax of the story is making soap and searching for the location, the best place to put a giant brass gear in her house. It's a very strange story. And somehow it, it warms my heart, the strangeness of it. I loved the fact that like there's a whole story written about things that seem to be entirely unimportant, but somehow Rothfuss wrote them in a way that I found captivating. Like it, it's hard to describe without reading the book, but just it's clear when you read the story that she's got some mental issues. Her trauma has like really kind of messed with her head, but it's also clear she's not just crazy. Somehow like her craziness, so to speak, it also is mixed with this like deeper, higher vision of the way of things. And so she sort of just perceives like the order of the world and she likes to set things right. And so just kind of watching her set things right in her corner of the world. Again, on surface, this is a very mundane thing, but mm -hmm. somehow it was written in a way that I loved. I'll give one other quick answer too, which is a little more straightforward. In the Elder Scrolls 3 video game, Oblivion, one of the, the plot threads you can follow is in the Thieves Guild. And one of the last, it's either the last or one of the last quests that you have in the Thieves Guild is to steal an Elder Scroll. Mm. The Elder Scrolls are like these ancient, super powerful objects, the sort of thing like everyone talks about, but no one ever sees. So it's kind of like, oh man, it's the Elder Scroll. And then finally, you're like, well, oh my gosh, we're going to steal an Elder Scroll. Like, Nobody, who does that? Like, you don't get to do that. <laughs> like, we get to do that. That's so cool. And it's so, it's this sort of crown jewel of this long quest where, like, you break into the main castle in the world. It's this giant tower. And so you, like, sneak in through a side entrance and work your way stealthily all the way to the top of this tower that's, like, thousand feet in the air. And you finally steal this thing. And then you get to break out and jump off of, like, a high precipice and land and watch. It's very dramatic. And there's something really cool about the sneakiness and the, like finding a cool treasure and getting away with it. I, I really enjoyed playing that. Yeah, it almost kind of sounds uh, Bilbo-esque when he finds uh, the Ring of Power and uh, grabs it from Smeagol. Oh, I f happened to find the Arkenstone and there's a giant dragon in this huge gold pile and stuff. Yeah, like finding treasure, like that's, there's something about that that I've always loved, that element of fantasy and role-playing type games and stories. And then the last question here for the personal interview section, what are you passionate about and why? We've kind of touched on this a little bit as I, as I rambled along, but perhaps an odd mix of serving God and prayer and religion and spirituality and trying to share the many gifts I think that, that Jesus has given me, which has completely changed the course of my life and not in a magic way, life's still hard, but which has given me a lot of hope and joy. It matters to me that I spend my life trying to share that gift that's been given to me and to help bring some hope and peace and love and support to people in, in a world where that's getting scarce. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of anger and hurt. And 
I think part of the role of a priest is to try to be a bit of a field medic, to be a bit of a cleric in D&D terms, to be a supporting character, to do some AOE healing. Yes, that barbarian gets on your nerves. Yes, that fighter curses a little too much, but you know, they're still going to turn to you, the cleric, and ask for help and you just got to go, all right, got to help you out. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about trying to become a better person and not just in like kind of a generic cliche flat sense, but like really trying to grow in virtue and, and good habits because our habits shape the sort of person that we are. And so trying to make sure that I'm staying healthy with exercise, trying to make sure that I'm building good relationships with my friends. I've been blessed with a lot of really great friends in my life. And sometimes we can think of friendship as like a luxury or something that you kind of tack on to a life when you have time. But the busy I've become, the more I've seen the need to make friendship a priority. So I'm very passionate about the relationships that I have in my life that give me life and joy and to make sure that I invest in them and not let them fall by the wayside. Yeah, because God is love and God is a communion of persons. And so we're made for friends. We're made to hang out and socialize with people. Yeah. Sometimes I think today, because everyone's so spread apart and it can be hard to find friends when you're not in school anymore, people start to think, you know, I don't know, is this even possible? Can I find friends? You start to think it's just kind of a pie in the sky hope and a wish, but I think it, it very much is possible and it is in fact necessary. Even if you don't have many friends, just to have people that you can have people in your life where you say, hey, you too. I thought I was the only one, you know, someone who shares a perspective that you do and you can kind of geek out about things that are common interests. Well, we've certainly learned a bit more about the good father. And let's go ahead and make an NPC. All right. This is the part of the show where we get to bring a character to life. And so typically this is done either by someone bringing forward a character they'd like to present on the show, or maybe even perhaps uh, rolling the dice and randomly generating one. Uh, So Father, what are we going to be doing today? Do you have a character ready to present? Are we going to randomly generate one? What are you thinking? I, when you first reached out to me about coming on the podcast, I got super excited. And when I was on a flight to go visit some friends for vacation, I spent the flight jotting down all sorts of like random ideas of of characters. And it was a lot of fun. A few of them drifted to the top and I'm going to pick one of them that I think I fleshed out pretty well that I think is unique and it's a little personal as well as just one that I was able to kind of dive into a little bit in terms of filling out the sort of character and person that he is in his role. So I'm going to go with one that I've come up with so far. And if there's details to flesh out more then we can do that also. Certainly. Okay. So then the first question is, what is the character's name? Ooh, so this is something that I didn't figure out. <laughs> I, I tend to, like when I play Skyrim, I tend to lean towards kind of Latin-ish names. Stories that I've always loved have been stories with very filled out worlds. I would want to come up with the name of this character in a way that reflects the sort of person or character, the sort of person that he is, as well as like where he comes from. And that's a little unclear to me. So I would, I'd be open to some suggestions, perhaps as we go along. Okay. I know Tony, when he had his episode, we saved the name till last. And then once you've okay. gone through the exercise of answering all the other questions, he generated the name. Or, like I said, we do have a random table with 20 different choices. And if you want to test the fates <laughs> and figure out if one of those might be a suitable name, uh, we could also do that as well. Okay, let's save the name to the end. In the vein of people like Tolkien who talk about writing in terms of discovering mm-hmm. rather than just kind of imposing your will on a world, let's discover the sort of character that I've started to create and then maybe we'll see what his name is. What is the ancestry of this character? I believe that he was a man, a human, a man in that sense, currently a skeleton or zombie. I'm thinking of a zombie-ish character, but not one that's just kind of mindless and kind of staggering along like The Walking Dead. So I'm going off of notes that I jotted down, kind of stream of consciousness. Sure. I'm going to lean towards skeleton, but not just a bone structure standing there. So the skeleton's going to have some, he's got some vestiges of what he once was, or he does wear some things. So he's not just a skeleton standing there. A lich that leans towards skeleton in bone structure. Okay. <laughs> I think the first image that popped into my mind, I grew up playing Warcraft 3. So something like a Kel'Thuzad 
or like just a generic lit, uh, lich hero character from Warcraft 3. So kind of skeletonish, but with kind of like scraps of billowing, tattered, wizardy clothes. I'll allow you to kind of polish it up too, because you're much more familiar with sort of the artistic palette for what you can use to create a character. So then the next question we have to answer is, what is the character's job or role in society? The thing that, that I find interesting about this character that I, I started to create was he is a lich or a skeleton or kind of like a revenant type creature who has become a priest. So his role currently has everything to do with what happened to him. He was a, a human who lived rather unvirtuously in life. It's unclear to me whether he was a fighter or a regular random person or a wizard or anything like that, but he was a rather evil person in life, but repented shortly before death or at the point of death. I'm not sure. Whatever kind of makes for a better story. The, <laughs> the point is, is that what happens is that he has a vision of a benevolent deity, whatever benevolent deity is in this world, who grants him the gift of undeath as a sort of a purgatory. He slides in the door. I'm going to be a little bit like Tolkien here, who like, we're, we're doing mythology. Tolkien drew on what he knew to be true and believed to be true as a Catholic. And so he didn't write an allegory, but he allowed things he believed to be true to influence his mythology. So I'm going to do a little bit of that here. I believe as a Catholic and a Christian that like even the worst person in the world, if they repent, if they turn away from their sins, like God wants everyone in heaven. We just have to allow him to take us. This guy slides in the door by realizing by a stroke of grace that he's headed for oblivion in some fashion and has a change of heart, but he still has a lot to account for out of a sense of justice. Our benevolent and loving deity is both merciful and is just. Mm -hmm. And so the way that he brings those two things together is that he gives this man a second chance. He grants him undeath. So he's not dead. He's not alive. And he does this by also giving him a mission. He sort of consecrates him as a priest, not in the normal fashion, either of a Catholic priest in real life or of like a priest in like a generic NPC-ish type role in a fantasy game. His job is to be an ambassador between the living and the dead. So this draws on a little bit what I said earlier about actual Catholic priesthood as a mediator. He's a mediator between the deity and the things beyond and the souls on earth. And his job currently is to bring healing and redemption to other undead souls that he encounters. Okay. Based on what you've described, Father, totally. This sounds like a revenant. Based on your imagery saying of being skeletal, maybe more so in appearance, uh, maybe not as much skin. And you talking about his journey of purgatory of making these atonements, encountering other creatures of undeath and helping to be this bridge and ambassador. It sounds like he's been doing this for a while then, correct? Yeah, this revenant. At the present time, when we pick up this person's story, he's been doing this for a long time. He's been around for at least several hundred years. I'm inclined more towards something of like over a thousand or perhaps more because we're talking on a very grand cosmic scale. The so, deity is, is outside of time. Sure. And the goal is that he's around not just to kind of like pay back a small debt. I don't conceive of this deity as like a miser or like a Greek god who's kind of like, oh, give me something I want because I'm not going to give you something good unless you give me something I want. The idea is that this deity has decided to use him in this rather grand plan. And mm -hmm. that plan covers the scope of really the trajectory of the world as this pe these people know it. His job is going to persist for quite a while. So sure. I kind of conceive of him as coming from quite a distant past, and he's going to be around until really the plan of the day is complete. Okay, so yeah, that leads into the question of how old is the character? It's probably accurate to say immortal. Yes, I would say he's immortal. He's immortal not by nature, but because of the job that he's been given to do. So he's been equipped with the abilities to do the job that he's been asked to do. Okay, and uh, we've already started to do it, but can you think of any more descriptors so we can paint a physical appearance? In my mind, I've been leaning towards someone that's more skeleton. I kind of vaguely picture this guy as floating, sort of ghost-like, even though he's a skeleton. I'm not okay. wedded to that, again, because <laughs> I'm just drawing on imagery that I've seen elsewhere. He's definitely very skeletal. Maybe he has a little bit of some remnants of flesh on him. Nothing particularly grotesque. 
is grotesque in one sense because it's kind of startling to encounter something like that. But the point is not for him to be like a horror. So he's kind of in perhaps intimidating or off-putting by how he looks. But the point is not for him to be scary per se. He's not who you expect him to be. In one sense, you see, oh, he's a, he's a skeleton, he's a zombie, he's a revenant. But then as you get a chance to see him act or talk to you, or like, oh, he's not, ah, this is not who I expected. He's not like the guy you don't want to turn the corner in the dungeon and, oh, shoot, we have to face him now. Right. Like you think that at first and then you realize he's not who I thought. Are you familiar with the video game series Shadow of War, Shadow of Mordor? No, not particularly. Oh. It's Tolkien, Lord of the Rings universe, and you, okay. you're a ranger from Gondor, but you fuse with Celebrimbor. There's this imagery you get from the video game because there's times where you see Talion the man, but then you see like this ghostly elven guy kind of like come out. Sometimes he like comes out to talk with Talion, or you'll see like half of him like shrouded in this ghostly form. You know, because his soul has been brought to his body by his deed. Yeah. You see instances of not only a skeleton moving, but maybe you see like the echo of what he looked like in life. He looks like he's yeah. floating because maybe some of his lower legs have just gotten to the point where they've deteriorated. But you see soul legs, as it were, uh, still yeah. walking and stuff. Yeah. The main image that I see is like a skeleton, but with some sort of kind of robes on him. But enough where you still are like, oh, no, this is clearly a skeleton. But yeah, there's something about him that's just more than that. So do you see like if you look at him and you converse with him, you can maybe see the soul, the spirit. You're talking to the skeleton head and then maybe you actually see like some of his old former youthful features come back onto his face and then like the yeah. light shifts and then like yeah. it's a skeletal face again and stuff. Yeah, somehow in my mind, I'm not imagining him being devoid of facial expression. So again, I don't know if you just kind of make it up and kind of do sort of cartoonish where like, oh, it's bone, but it can kind of, his face can adjust to make <laughs> expressions or if you have some amount of structure to his face where he can still do that. But I'm, I'm imagining somebody who doesn't feel like a husk and a puppet. There's an actual person you're interacting with. Tolkien describes Treebeard, one of the Ents. As like when you look into his eyes, it's almost like his eyes are like these little pinpricks of lighter in them, like a star. It's something like looking into his eyes, there's like a tremendous depth because of how old and how wise he is. The idea of like a skeleton or like a skull, usually think like the eye sockets, that's like there's something kind of creepy about it. Like we naturally don't like these dark holes or like what's in there? Is it nothing? Is it the void? It's looking at this revenant, you see a skull or part of a skull and you see something skeleton-like about his eyes. But like I imagine some sort of like light in them where it's, it shows like the spark of something. But I also like to think of this imagery of perhaps like the spiritual soul kind of outlining and filling in the rest of those details as well. So you're like, okay, I'm not supposed to be creeped out and terrified by this guy. Right. He's intimidating after a fashion. I see him as somebody, I mean, he's been around a long time. I wouldn't say he's like some super powerful being, but like mm -hmm. because of the state that he is in and the power he's been given to carry out his mission comes from a deity. So to me, even if he is some sort of a sidekick or an, a character that joins your party mm -hmm. um, and doesn't necessarily take an active role in a particular story, I still see him as somebody with a great deal of power. We put some limits on that. So it's not just kind of like an OP, like, oh, he can just do whatever he wants. The, the fact that he's been around a lot means he has a lot of experience. He's learned a lot. He's also been, I think, infused with a certain amount of wisdom from the deity. He has a certain, within a certain limits and confines, he has some power that is rather effective in what it does. If you had to pick three adjectives to describe this character, what three adjectives would you use? Mm. Regretful is one. Like when we talk about undead creatures in general in stories, because of the fact that their life is so long, it's kind of like taking who they are and what they've done and stretching it over a very large scale. And so because he is in this state on account of what he has done, even though he's repented and even though I think he has hope, he's not wondering what will happen to him. He has confidence in a reward after this. Until that day comes, I don't think he ever will get fully get away from carrying this regret of the evil that he's done. Compassionate. 
not in a saccharine way, but in a very sort of sensible, dutiful way. That maybe that's the third adjective I use, like dutiful. Or he sees himself having a, having a responsibility, and like that's carrying out his responsibility and mission matters to him a lot. So he's very faithful to that. I don't know what it, the best word to describe that is, but regretful, compassionate to others in their suffering, and dutiful. I'll say. So, what is a valuable item? A piece of lore? a secret, or if not one of those, an ideal or concept that this particular character ascribes to? He definitely harbors a secret. I think he not only lived a particularly unvirtuous life when he was fully alive, but I think he did some particularly terrible thing that is sort of the apex of his shame and regret. Um, And he's very reluctant to divulge what that is. I think at some point, if he ever gains the trust of people gain his trust enough and he journeys with them enough, he may on an occasion share what that is. But sort of the, the question, like, like you're sitting around the campfire, like, so why are you the way you are? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so you're a, you're a sort of dead person <laughs> and you've been like, what's that about? I think he's like the sort of canned answer he gives at a cocktail party is like, I've been given power from this God. I've got a task to complete and I take that seriously. He may even say perhaps that he, he was not a, a virtuous person in his life, but he he rarely will go into what that thing was. But I think it's it's something that he deeply regrets. I think in general, because besides this, because he's lived for an extremely long time, he's learned a lot about cultures and the things that different cultures and societies have to offer. He's picked up lore from a lot of places, both sort of background story type lore about what has occurred, as well as kind of useful lore about different places because he's he's sort of itinerant somebody who lives forever and is kind of by himself is naturally going to wander i think Mm -hmm. so he's spent lots of time in lots of different places and has acquired information that's part of his kind of his assisting role in a party he may join up with is being able to like oh yeah so like this territory we're entering into this is the way they are so like this is what you should be aware of or like don't cross this warlord or something like that I don't want to overload this character, but I, I liked the idea I came up with with it, it originally like a seer or a prophet type character that had like a book whose okay. contents would change. So like mm-hmm. the writing and the contents of it, I don't know why it changes except again, some sort of working of providence by some overwatching spirit, but like without just kind of being a deus ex machina without just kind of like being a player's guide for a video game based on whatever they're looking for whether it's a you know a MacGuffin we're after or uh, we're trying to escape or we're trying to learn about something this book produces bits and pieces that are more or less clear um, and it changes based on what is needed up so it's it's kind of crystal ball-esque like can you tell me something useful and it sometimes gives something straightforward sometimes not the guy doesn't have control over it except to sort of inquire and see what it spits back I could see our, our Revenant character having this I don't know why he has it except perhaps that he's been given it or acquired it like he picked it up somewhere a long time ago and it's proved useful so he's held on to it mm. it sort of reflects this role of like he could sort of be a protagonist in his own right but he really to me feels like he does feel like a supporting character mm. by nature and so sort of the the one who has the wisdom or has the information not that solves everything but like that can help fill in gaps that seems like the sort of role that he would fill and so again i'm not sure whether this book totally fits i could see him having such a thing like is it a communication mechanism between him and the deity i think it could be i originally conceived it with a different character that wasn't connected to a deity so just sort of a seer or a prophet i hesitate to call it like a holy book because that's not, I think, what I envision here. But if we were going to use this special tome, I think I might say that it's an operation of divine providence with the deity. So the deity is not just kind of always telling him what the next quest marker is, but this is one of the concrete ways that the deity shows support and care without it breaking the game. With our Revenant character running across a group of player characters, what is a particular quest that the Revenant priest would be willing to recruit or hire player characters to go and do? Does it have something to do with the book? Oh, the pages changed, and it's like he's told by his god, like, hey, these uh, adventurers are going to come up and you need to tell them to go do this. Yeah, I haven't explored what this book could or couldn't be and, and how much 
at what point it kind of stretches beyond what I want this character to be. But shooting in the dark here, I can imagine it being that he has learned from this book that there are some notable people that are in danger that need help. I don't know if they're, maybe they're super important in the grand scheme of the deities plant. Like the deities trying to bring about a whole lot of things. We don't know what all those things are because it's not mm-hmm. our business. But perhaps the deity is really interested in preserving a bloodline, you know, a particular descendant or keeping a certain artifact from being stolen that helps to protect the place or something like that. So perhaps our, our revenant gets advance warning of that. I could also see too, like a lot of side quests in video games, you just kind of come up to a random person you've never met and they're just like, oh, random person, could you help me out with this fetch quest? (laughs) And they just kind of assume you're willing to do it. I don't know what would bring player characters to become interested in the mission of this Revenant, but if they were somehow, I could also see the Lich being interested in getting help. Like his main mission is to help kind of bring redemption and release and healing to other undead, to to set things right in the world and Mm -hmm. help the deities plan but also he was given this gift of avoiding hell and oblivion he has the opportunity to share that Mm -hmm. so he can go kind of extend the gift given to him to others if he so chooses so he seeks out either people who are about to die or even especially other undead who are undead for other reasons who are really kind of in an unpleasant sort of undeath and he'll like go to them and sort of give them their soul back or sort of release them from being trapped in a limbo that's not part of like the grand scheme of trying to get the big major plot point at the end of time fixed for the deity but that's just something that's kind of like a day-to-day side quest for him where he just he cares about it and it was also commissioned in like what was given to you go and give to others I could see him asking some player characters to either let him know when they find undead and to not kill them. Maybe there's a way he can kind of pacify them, like the player characters can pacify them to give him a chance to come in and then heal them, or maybe just to go bring him with them. And so when they find this ghost thing, like let him step in and intercede and try to sort of convince them, something like that. Okay, so we're either thinking of, oh, hey, maybe this area is plagued by this undead, unnatural thing. Go and capture it and bring it back so I can release it. Or, hey, I've been talking with my deity. I know that there's something going on over here. I need you to escort me there so that way I can do my job. Yeah, I think both of those, yes, both of those would fit his character. For our purposes, he is a side character, but he's also not an insignificant character. So the big plot arc is there's certain things over many thousands of years that are much more important that the deity is interested in. Mm -hmm. But then the deity also cares about the little individual people. So Mm -hmm. without micromanaging our revenant, he says, you have been loved and saved and forgiven, go and do likewise. Mm -hmm. And so he just looks for opportunities to do that, even if they don't change the world. We have to consider then these two questions. What is going to be the reward for succeeding in either of the two versions of the quest? And what's going to be the consequence of failure or refusing the call to adventure? It's it's interesting because we could consider this. Right now, I think we're considering this in terms of like the Revenant is, so to speak, standing in the town square and you come up to him and he waits there for you to come back. And as opposed to him, like being in your company and journeying with you on your quest. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about him as a quest giver that just kind of waits there for you to come back or not. I'd say the reward generally is going to be in terms of knowledge. So if you need to know things about your quest, maybe you have a mortal enemy you're seeking out and you don't know where he hides. Maybe you need to know somebody's weakness. Our revenant is, is a wealth of knowledge and wisdom mm. on many levels. So he's willing to offer general information as well as cautiously advice a little bit after the fashion of the elves in Tolkien's world who know a great deal and even have foresight, but they sort of are very hesitant to use it. They sort of like tentatively foretell, recognizing that it's not a set in stone thing and it's kind of murky sometimes. So I could see him sort of giving some of that information as a reward. He may offer his serve. I mean, depending on the scenario, I can imagine a version of this where the player characters help him out enough that like it really wins him over and he's like, if you would like, I'm willing to follow you. I've got a job to do, but like I can do that job and follow you around. For, so like perhaps offering to accompany them, mm-hmm. if it makes sense to the player character story. If they refuse to help, he's not a malevolent person. He's not a malicious person. He's not a vindictive person. Because of how old he is and because like of the way being undead 
in a sense sort of wears you out. Like he's not totally, a, like he's not a husk of a person exactly, even if he looks like it. There's a certain sort of old worn downness to him. I think he would just sort of shrug it off like, oh, another one of these, these mere mortals that's only going to live like a drop in a bucket compared to my life. Oh, okay. If somehow the quest is very important to the Revenant, I think he'd be disappointed, but just sort of be resigned to like, well, I mean, I've got time. So I'll just kind of like wait around till then someone else decides to. He's not the sort of person that would punish failure. I could imagine a version of him where if he saw a person going full on hack and slash dungeon crawling, killing all the undead, like I could imagine him objecting to that and perhaps trying to like forcibly stop you. I wouldn't want to make him too much of like a moralizing character, like the undead version of PETA, or just like, don't you understand that undead are people too? Like I, I don't see him like that, but I could see it if he was around some sort of berserker type warrior who just is just grinding for XP and doesn't mind killing a bunch of zombies he wouldn't like that because like it robs what about a straight up evil character what if he encounters someone who is evil on the wrong path and not hacking and slashing undead but they're hacking and slashing townsfolk oh this person's in my way let me do away with them so i can continue on with my own personal goals and ambitions is he gonna like bring down the hammer of god basically on them yes again he's not the most powerful creature but i would say yeah he doesn't go out of his way like a player character to intervene in all the the troubles of each town like oh the next town over there's a problem go run over and save them as he goes about his journey again which in some ways is rather slow because he's not in a rush and there's a real evil he will combat that evil he will stand up to it he'd do it rather fearlessly one for the fact that he's undead also because of the the nature of his power i've been playing around with like okay so what abilities does he have he has great knowledge he has some ability to commune with the divine. He has some ability to sort of redeem the undead and sort of release them from whatever is unpleasant about that and move them on to eternity. I see him in some ways as like, he will do that for other people, but like he's sort of going to be the last one in the door. His job in part is not only this some big plan for the deity, but you go and, and release the undead into eternity where they will be blessed. And you're going to wait kind of partly in payment for your sins, but like you're going to be sort of the last one in the door. So you stick around helping people out and you're not going to rest until everyone else has. So he has a sort of a power to kind of release them that way. Mm -hmm. um, in a more practical mage-like sense, I see him as having healing abilities. Strange for a revenant, ghosty, lichy, skeleton character, but he's a priest. And so I see him having like light elemental powers. And I like the oddness of that. So he does like a lot of radiant damage with his uh, Yeah, he does like radiant light powered. So he heals, but I'm unsure about this, but I, I have even the idea of drawing a little bit from Warcraft 3. There's a paladin hero who the holy light ability heals your characters and then damages undead. Mm -hmm. um, so I can see a version of this where like, again, surprising to everyone who hasn't met him before, his sort of element is, of choice is light and that light will heal live characters and damage undead characters. But that kind of conflicts with the fact that he doesn't see the undead as enemies. I liked the idea, but I wanted to play with it. And I came up with the idea that like he uses this light elemental energy that it has an effect depending on the state of the person's soul, mm. like depending on sort of the alignment, perhaps, or the morality ah. of the characters. I don't know the alignment chart well enough to totally <laughs> wed myself to it, but I'll just I'll speak in terms of morality in general. A person who generally has a soul and a heart and a mind aligned with good and what I would say as a Catholic, as just like general objective principles of good, his power heals them. As a Catholic, I don't believe anyone is through and through evil with no redemption possible. But like if we encounter just a, in the world an evil character, then this light damages them, I would say. It's sort of like the light that burns um, okay. because it's the light that has to do with holiness and goodness. This power is coming from the deity. And so even though he's an undead skeleton, he doesn't use dark magic. He uses light right. magic. So light, which heals those who are good in some criteria and damages and sort of burns like fire somehow yeah. those who are evil that may be fine enough and simple to keep it simple but i even imagine okay well what about the reality that the world is not black and white like it's not just good people and bad people mm -hmm. there's neutral people <laughs> in the game 
<laughs> right. I can imagine an effect if when someone's kind of a mix, sort of has an effect of both. So it can be a healing that purifies with a little bit of pain to play with some RPG type terms like this will heal you, but you're stunned briefly. Like if you're aligned with noble things in general, you don't have to be without sin. But like the idea is that this light heals and purifies. So mm -hmm. if it encounters anything that is not pure in it, it does away with it, or at least is in conflict with it. So if you're kind of in the middle, the purpose of this light is not primarily to damage, but it has that effect when it encounters evil. So mm. if you're kind of in the middle, like in general, I'd say this Revenant is a healer support character. It may be a little unpleasant if you still got some work to do in your soul. <laughs> okay, I like that. But on the whole, it's not something extreme. I wouldn't say it's like a torturous thing on the whole. Sure. Sort of like, because he's still more of a healer than not. He's not a justice paladin sort of person. Now that we've, uh, you know, walked this journey with this character, do you have an idea of a name? Is there a particular saint that maybe closely models something like this that we could be inspired for a name? Hmm. <laughs> To my knowledge, there are no undead saints, which makes it a little hard at the at the start. The fact that he has to do with light magic is this sort of element makes me think of light things. It's unfortunate that the name Lucifer, which means light bearer, is also the name for Satan. In some ways that could fit here, but like Lucifer is, I think, largely an, a name that I don't think can be redeemed. Even though Hitler is a last name, like it's going to be at least, you know, many hundreds of years before someone can comfortably use that as a last name. So Lucifer in a vacuum would be kind of like a name because it means light bearer, mm -hmm. um, but that, that doesn't work here. Perhaps you could go with Lucius, you know, kind of a Latin name that comes from the word for light, Lucis. I've never been great with picking names, but again, I like Latin sort of ones. One that's coming to mind for not much reason, but just because it sort of sounds nice is Axios. Axios. Um, in, in Greek, it means worthy. And I don't know Greek, but it comes from the Greek heritage of Catholicism and Orthodoxy. When somebody is going to be ordained a priest, they're sort of brought before the assembly of the community, before the bishop, who's the high priest. And it's a ceremonial thing at this point, but the bishop sort of ceremonially questions him and asks the people, is he worthy? Mm. And the people together cry axios which is to say he is worthy. I just like the sound of the word. It's got kind of like a punch and an edge to it. It doesn't yeah. sound overly cliche as like a fantasy name. And it also happens to fit because of its connection with priesthood and this guy's backstory. Like he wasn't worthy. He was a bad person, but because of his repentance and the generosity of the deity, the deities declared him worthy. Mm -hmm. Not because he's earned it, but because like worthiness has been put into him. So yeah. I don't know if that's a little too kind of forceful and trying to pack meaning into a person, but I like the name of the sound of the name. And so yeah, let's go I with could, it. Let's go with it. Axios. One last thing to add to it in filling out the sort of character he is. Again, I don't have a lot of experience with making characters or D&D, but I've encountered the concept of someone naturally wants to just create an OP character that can just do all the things and has no weaknesses. But I've considered, okay, this character is strong and it's okay to have strong characters, powerful characters in a world, in a game. I gave some thought to what his weaknesses might be. I'm unsettled on these, but some thoughts that I had is uh, what could be a handicap. This is not necessarily a handicap. I imagine because he's un dead he can go several days perhaps or longer without sleeping i thought well you know what maybe it's like he can go for so long without sleeping and then like he has to just like sleep for three days so like if you're thinking about journeying with this person he has a whole lot to offer your team and like could unbalance your team so if we're thinking of him as as a companion in your and we need to kind of balance the party out i could see like okay he can do a lot and he knows a lot but like the team has to kind of wait for him because like he could after a while he just sort of goes dormant i could see him maybe not needing to eat at all because he's undead but like maybe if i wanted to just again for another handicap like maybe he's like voraciously thirsty there's certain things he doesn't need because of the state of his being but like maybe there's certain needs he really needs that other people don't maybe th this gets a little away from the character we've created but like i could imagine a sort of undead character like this who the way he sort of sustains himself or feeds is he leeches life from things around him. It, it feels a little too destructive based on the type of character we've created. I could imagine maybe not just by sort of having an aura of destruction, but like just some way that he needs kind of consumed. I was trying to come up with ways that like, again, to keep him from being OP, like what constraints does this character have? Just want to take a moment to recognize another sponsor of the show, Reaper Miniatures. They have been Texas Titans of the tabletop industry since 1994. 
They're right here in my backyard, and they have an amazing warehouse and game store. They make everything from paints to gaming accessories. Stream on Twitch with tutorials and interviews. Whatever system you're running, whatever game you're playing, Reaper has a miniature that has you covered. Want to include randolph in your game then might i suggest looking at their catalog for SKU number 77661 perhaps you need a lord grubbub check out SKU 02646 are you in the market for your very own skink knows the lich look no further than SKU number 77280 you know every time you shop with them and you spend at least 40 dollars on your purchase they will give you a cool new mini for free and this miniature of the month is always something new and if you're wondering how you can enjoy the benefits from my sponsor, if you visit my website, you can find a link for our sponsorship and use my referral code link when you shop to help support Sidekicks and SideQuests and get you some savings. By clicking that link on my website, it helps to track the traffic that our show directs towards Reaper Miniatures. The more traffic, the more that our Texas powers will be able to combine. So again, Go check the link out on my website in order to use my special referral code and be sure to follow Reaper Miniatures on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and YouTube. So thank you very much to this sponsor and back to the podcast. Well, we've certainly learned a lot about Axios. And so now I think it's time that we take him into a random encounter. Right, so I'm ready. Yes, so this is the part of the show where we get to do a role play scenario, a little vignette of the characters. So you will get to bring a voice, a life to Axios. What is the kind of scene uh, that you're going to be wanting to present? And then which of my cast of characters should be the one to meet Axios? Well, I like a lot of the the ground we've covered in filling this character out. So, like, I'm, I could kind of go a lot of different directions. Maybe we have your party dungeon crawling or on a particular journey that like takes them to a place where there are undead and they encounter Axios sort of interceding. They're ready like, oh, okay, we're at the boss or like, we're at the next guy we got to take care of. And they see what they think is two enemies. And it turns out that like neither of them actually notices the party entering and they seem to be like talking or something's going on between them. And so they see Axios kind of doing this reconciling or using whatever power oh okay i see so they encounter him doing doing his doing his mission i i think this might be an interesting thing for sonia to come across so where we last left our hero sonia the warrior woman she was helping out arlie with his particular needing quest and after doing this sonia of course is wandering probably has been about a year or so since she it feels like since she's done something and we'll say that you know she is walking by this particular stretch of ancient battlefield and you know she can see some markers and grave markers and the like and way off in the distance she sees uh something shambling and then she can see a lone solitary figure that just seems to be standing there not reacting but is motioning and maybe seems to be gesturing towards this uh this shambling jerking sort of a of a creature and so sonia being ready for battle quickly puts her hand on her sword and kind of like tries to jog up to the scene as she gets closer what can she start hearing what does she see sonia sees a ghost which has it has claws it looks monstrous it looks vicious perhaps growling or making some sort of unearthly noise like it's preparing to fight she also sees another character which seems undead as well but is not acting at all like the other one and she she kind of wonders that it's almost as if they're talking to each other or at least one is she sees some skeletal looking figure with some rags that look rather old and decrepit, but who's slowly approaching this ghostly monster. And so I imagine she's curious. She, she, this is not what she expected in, you know, she, she hasn't run into a, a situation like this in, in her many years of, of adventuring. Well, Sonia will arrive on the scene and I guess she gestures towards this, the priestly figure, slow walking one. And she says, skink nose. Is that you, Skinknose? And then I guess the Axios will turn around and she'll see and look at the face and uh, she'll realize that it's not the Lich that she had previously helped. 
but she'll kind of keep her distance, you know, her her guards ready in case this other creature, you know, seems to attack. But I, I'm sure Axios will probably like regard her warmly in some response and then turn his attention back towards uh, the figure. Is there anything that he will say towards this uh, figure as he's readying himself? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Axios turns towards Sonia and as she's approaching, and while she's still far enough away to not like now be like really a part of exactly what's going on, mm-hmm. he turns to her and I think, I don't know if I've given him the ability to like talk in people's heads, that might be a little much, but like I'm imagining him sort of like turning to her and very quickly being like, stay back. Yeah. And in the sense of like, I'm busy, like, like, don't, don't wreck this. Like, mm-hmm. but he doesn't, he can't talk to it. Like he, he's in the middle of something and he's trying not to lose a thread of something. So sure. he kind of looks at her and in a way that shows that he's not threatening, but still kind of firmly is kind of like. Right. He wields an amount of power and she can respect that. And so she'll stop and halt in her tracks. She'll hold her position ready for a fight if need be, but she stops. But yeah. And he shows that he's not turning to focus, become aggressive towards her. He just mm-hmm. is like, stay. Then he turns his attention back to this ghost. Axios, I, I imagine Sonia maybe is close enough to hear. Axios is really trying to pleading and, and trying to coax to win over this ghost. I think somehow Axios knows some things about this ghost, about who he is and what he's done. And he's trying to convince this ghost to let go, to choose a different path. You don't have to be who you once were. Your past choices don't have to define you. Trying to, to show some empathy like to say like i know what that's like i know what it's like to want blood i know what it's like to to want revenge i know what it's like to feel powerless and want to take that out on those who have hurt you there's another way it doesn't lead to peace let me help you so i think that's the sort of thing he's trying to do to to kind of keep the the ghost from becoming more aggressive and also to try to change his heart We'll say that uh, Axios rolls his uh, persuasion check, and because he's ancient and a boss at this, he has advantage, and he rolls like a natural 20, and it's enough to win over the ghost. And so you actually see, like, I was imagining it was actually like a skeleton or a zombie, but so the ghostly image, and now I'm getting the image of uh, the undead king from Lord of the Rings who has to, like, toe up to Aragorn, but essentially this ghostly image of a soldier, maybe a former general, who knows, but we'll say, like, he calms down, and he like kind of floats down and he actually kneels in front of uh, Axios in a manner of submission, basically asking uh, for forgiveness. He eventually is won over, even though this is an undead person, this is a person, or at least once was, and people are complicated and people like to protect themselves. And so anger and aggression is often a defense against a lot of hurt and burdens that we carry. And so Axios is able to win this undead creature over to let his guard down and really let the regret come out. And Axios speaks words of hope. And so this creature kneels down before him. Axios lays his hands on his head and the creature starts to kind of relax and start to feel like almost to smile. I like what Aragorn says to the undead in in the movie. He says, let go, be at peace. So Axios does that and he sort of just sort of peacefully fades away. And, and then Axios calmly turns and approaches Sonia, but again, not running up to her, but just kind of goes over to her because clearly she's somebody that should be talked to and not ignored. Right. So Sonia will sheathe her sword and she'll say, you are not the lich uh, that I once served. Who are you? I'm both a lich and not. I once was dead and now I'm alive, although I'm not yet as alive as I will be. I have a mission to complete and I've spent many long years seeking out lost souls like I once was. My hope is that I can bring them peace and redemption and freedom. Who are you? And what brings you to this place? Well, my name is Sonia. I am a, an adventurer, a warrior. I uh, travel. I'm a sellsword. I, I, work for, I work for coin. I work for, I work for my way in the world. And uh, Skink knows the Lich was the last undead creature that I had a quest with, and I, I had to travel to a cliffside. Oh, that was many miles. Uh, but I traveled to a cliffside to return the bones of uh, the person, the young woman, that he had to enact the curse, uh, and it ruined the other family. But I, I returned the bones to the family and then returned to the, the Lich. If you are on this noble quest of helping to... Uh, bring the undead peace 
I could sense, not that I am knowledgeable in the ways of the gods, but it seemed like perhaps the skink nose was seeking redemption and just was looking for a way to start his journey. Many are looking for peace, but aren't willing to pay the cost. It's my hope that I can convince lost souls that the cost for peace and eternal joy is worth it. If you let me know where this person is laid to rest, I'm happy to try to intercede for them. If you have any further business with them, I would gladly accompany you. I imagine as a sellsword that your life is rather lonely. I too understand what it's like to wander alone. Probably Sonia for the first time in her life feeling some sort of religious experience in a way feels like a pull and she doesn't know why she's saying this but she'll say well i can take you to the lich's tower if you want to meet with him everyone deserves the second chance sometimes even a third if you'll take me to him i'll go i do not fear death it has no more power over me my concern is for him and the prospect of him dying forever and with that, Sonia and uh, Axios leave the battlefield and they, you know, Axios taking Sonia's lead and direction, they will begin their trek back to Skinknos, the Lich's tower and his many beehives. And scene. Wow, that was really cool, awesome. Father. That yeah, was awesome. that was. Yeah. Well, we are definitely here in our final thoughts of the show. And so, Father, I like to ask my guests how their experience was on the show. What did they think of everything that has transpired uh, in our conversation? I thought that was awesome. I thought this was really fun. I've never done quite extensive character building as we have here, like random brainstorming, but it was really cool to flesh a character out. I've got very little experience actually role-playing, and I think there's something fun about that because it's exploring a persona. Good writing and good storytelling can take on a life of its own because there's an inner logic to it that you don't impose on it. You kind of set it in motion and then it unfolds according to its own reasoning. I haven't gotten a lot of practice thinking along those lines, so it's cool to start thinking, okay, based on the character we've just created, not what do I want them to say, but what what would they say? Right. What would they do? Not what do I want them to do? That's like a whole adventure that I think is really cool. Well, I like to turn the microphone over to my guests and I give them the ability to plug and promote anything they've got going on. So if you want people to have a shining beacon of hope to follow on Twitter, where can they find you there? If there's any causes or anything that we need to be made aware of, uh, what are they? If you want to follow a strange, nerdy Catholic priest on Twitter, my name is Father Tom Bombadil on Twitter, and my handle is at Calix517. That's C is in Charlie, A-L-I-X 517. Yeah, I don't have anything in particular to pitch, except that, you know, I, I know there's probably a wide range of people that listen to the podcast. If you're the praying type, I always appreciate prayers. I'm a person like everyone else, so I can always use prayers and I'll keep you all in mind. And as a priest, the greatest gift I've been given is Jesus Christ and closeness to him in, in the Catholic Church. And a lot of people don't have that same experience and it, it breaks my heart, but I, I very much understand it. My hope and my prayer is that the, the joy and the peace and the strength that I've been given, that anyone who's listening, that they can find that too. Well, Father, thank you so much for being a guest and uh, hope to have you back on again soon to make another character, all right? Yeah, sounds good. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and Side Quests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Overcast. Or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, sidekicksandsidequests.com, for links write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up to date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit by searching for SideKQ Podcast. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you would like to hail the bod, send an email to sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes to help spread the word and share our show with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, 
There's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. Sidekicks and sidequests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast, copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four!